So, Father, right now I ask that you'll guide us, guide our hearts, speak to us, mold us, shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we open your word together, as we look into the mirror today of your word and try to make adjustments to our lives. We need your help to do that. We can't do it on our own. So we ask your Holy Spirit to work in a very powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our study, Blessings from the Mountain, and work through these beatitudes that the Lord Jesus gave to us. As he sat on that mountain in by the Sea of Galilee that, that one day to help bring transformation um, to the hearts of his followers. And therefore, as we have it in the scripture, it's there for us so that we can see what needs to change, what we need to do to adjust our lives to bring that same spiritual transformation. And boy, do I need God's help with this. Anybody with me? In fact, I am desperately in need of help. <laughs> You're like, especially Rob is like, yeah, Phil, we know that already. But <laughs> I gotta tell you that as I study this, I feel like I'm, like so far, every aspect of my life is under the microscope right now. As, um, as I study Jesus' sermon here in Matthew 5 and just hang with me here because I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to counter with something because the more that I study, the more depressed that I get. And that's really not how it's supposed to go. I mean, we're, the more we study, the more um, inspired we're supposed to be. But I, I think that there is this pattern of growth. This is what happens. We, we hear from God, we learn from the word, we open the word, we hear his words, and then the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And that conviction is painful. Um, it's, not a, it's not a like, hey, I'm under conviction today. That, that's not how conviction works. Conviction is like sorrow in our hearts because we actually are seeing ourselves for who we are where the, where the rejoicing comes and where the, the, the strength comes and the, and the, the uplift comes is when we submit to that conviction, when we, when we respond to that in repentance and we humble our hearts before the Lord, then his blessings come. And that's what we're studying here in this. And though, I, though I'm feeling those depressed feelings as I study this and I see myself in light of God's word and up against who God is and his holiness, and I see my weaknesses, I have this assurance because this is what I know about God's word, that if I am obedient as we go through this study, and if I respond to the Holy Spirit and not resist his conviction, if I'm willing to let him transform me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and do whatever work he wants to do in me, then the promise is that I'm going to become a different person, and I'm going to receive his blessing, and I'm going to experience joy in the Lord. And my soul and, and will come off of that depression and be refreshed because I have done the work that God, the Holy Spirit, wants me um, to do and allow him to do 
in my life. And it's the, the, the same is true of you. And so here we are in Matthew chapter five, um, and we're in verse five. And this is where we're going. We've already talked about being poor in spirit. We've talked about being mourning, mournful over the fact that we're poor in spirit. And now Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So this statement, um, let me just, as a refresher for us, um, this one along with the previous two, of, of being poor in spirit and mourning over that, Jesus is actually calling his audience to a new way of thinking. Remember, we said that every time that we've met together on this subject. He is not calling us to a new way of living. He is calling us and, and forcing us through his path, this, this study to a new way of thinking that will transform our way of living. Because if you don't change what's in your heart, you will not likely last in your changing. You can make behavioral changes, but those behavioral changes will go right back to what they used to be unless you have had a mindset change and a change of heart. And that's what Jesus is going after, that all of us would be transformed in our behavior because we have changed the way that we think, but what he's calling us to and what he was calling them to was something very foreign to their thinking and ours as well. Let me tell you a little bit about the audience that Jesus was speaking to, including the disciples. They were very um, spiritual. They knew how to be spiritually proud, actually. They knew how to be self-sufficient in their religiosity. They knew how to look and they knew how to act religious. In fact, they knew how to, and I'm gonna use Jesus language here, they knew how to clean up the outside and play the pious role because they had had that modeled for them from birth from those who were their leaders in the church. What you need to realize is that these people in the, that Jesus was speaking to, their religion and their culture were all in one thing. They didn't have their life, they lived their life a certain way in the culture of the day, and then they had religion, they had their religion. It was all the same thing. They actually lived their religion. And so the rabbis and the priests and everyone ahead of them, they were really good. They were actually experts, Jesus says, at shining up the outside, but what did Jesus say was on the inside? You remember? Dead bones. Dead bones. You are full of life on the outside and you've got yourself all cleaned up and looking shiny on the outside, but inside you're full of death. You're like a sepulcher because you're not working on what really matters. And this is what Jesus is getting at on his sermon on the Mount when he talks to us. These people, they actually thought that they were the in group with Jesus because they were Jews. They actually believed that that's why he came and was doing all the miracles before them and, and amongst them. He came to them first, the scripture says, but they rejected him. But these people thought that they were finding favor with God because of their own strength and their own wisdom and their own might and their own spiritual resources. In fact, they expected the Messiah to arrive and say something like this to them. Hey, folks, I'm here to commend you for all of your self-righteousness. I am here to praise you for your great spirituality. In fact, I'm here to announce to you that your Father, God in heaven, is pleased with you. And he has asked me to come down and establish my kingdom and invite you to join me. Are you willing to go? Are you ready to go? And what was their answer? 
absolutely were ready to go. In fact, they were disappointed in the, what Jesus was saying. They were disappointed in, what Jesus, in how Jesus even came. Remember, he went in to his great entry into Jerusalem riding on a great white war horse. <laughs> That's what they wanted him to. No, he rides on a colt of a donkey. They were disappointed, actually, in who they thought Jesus was going to be, the Messiah, and even more so with these words, because here's how he starts his earthly ministry. Verse three, chapter five of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of his teaching, his public teaching to the masses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are those who think they are righteous, but blessed are those who know that they are sinners, that they are not righteous. Verse four, blessed are the mourn, mourners, those who mourn. Not blessed are those who are happy with themselves and confident in themselves, but blessed are those who are sad about their spiritual bankruptcy. And now we get to verse five, blessed are the meek. We're gonna find that he's not talking about blessed are those who are proud of themselves, but blessed are those who are humble. And Jesus is saying to us, it isn't the religious that I'm coming to. It isn't the self-sufficient. It isn't the self-righteous. It isn't the proud. It isn't the strong or the arrogant or the confident or the satisfied that are going to receive my blessings and enter my kingdom. Instead, what we're learning is it is the broken. It is the mourning. It is the meek and the hungry and the thirsty and the merciful and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers, and the persecuted, and the reviled, and those who are slandered who will never pay back with slander. These are the ones, Jesus says, that will inherit my kingdom and will draw the attention of my Father. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. You guys okay so far? Can I read to you something that might depress you a little bit? Especially if you think a lot of yourself. Nobody here thinks a lot of themselves. Don't worry. It won't, it won't apply to you. 1 Corinthians 1.26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose, you see those words? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not in order to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You can't even have righteousness, holiness, or redemption or even come close to God at all. You can't come to him at all except through Jesus Christ. It is not on your acts of righteousness or your attempts at righteousness that got you into the kingdom. It was all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Therefore, as it is written, verse 31, 
Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is not coincidence, you guys. This is who the Lord is seeking. This is who I esteem. This is who draws my gaze. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. This is who the Lord is seeking. You come to God on your knees. I'm really struggling with this topic. And if you've known me for a while, you'll, you know why that I am struggling with this topic. Um, I've been asking myself, who am I really? This is what's been on my mind this week. I've been asking myself this question, um, what do people see when they see me? I don't know if I even want to look up, you know, um, and ask, what do you see when you see me? But more importantly, what does God see when he looks at me? Um, you ever get, have you ever been like this where you wish you could like jump out of yourself and experience yourself? No? <laughs> well, I do. Um, you know, what's it like to live alongside of me? You know, what does Robin really have to put up with? Because I'm blind to it. I, and most of the time, especially we guys, we're, we're oblivious to it. We're just doing our thing without even asking. What's it like for me to do my thing? What does that do to you? Does it do anything for you? How do you, re, how, do I depress you when I do my thing? What's it like to play alongside of me or to minister alongside of me or to work beside me? So, and, and it's this question, am I meek? Do people see meekness in me? Does God see meekness in me? So go to work now, right? We go to work on this. So how many of you want to inherit the earth? What's wrong with you? Like, you know, eight people raise their hand. I'm not sure. I want to. I don't know. Inherit the earth? Anybody want to inherit the earth? Still, same eight people. Oh, I get it. We we're meek. Anyone want true happiness? Okay, a, a, a few more. There's nothing wrong with desiring the things that God wants to give you. Now, if you do everything to serve those things and live for those, now you're all screwed up, okay? But there is nothing wrong with like, hey, if God is offering the earth, I'll take it. If God is offering true ex exclamation points of happiness, I'll take it. Absolutely, sign me up, okay? Well, there's, there's some stuff you have to do, okay? And if you truly want that, and I want that, 
then what Jesus is saying in verse five is you've got to put on meekness. You have to put on meekness. I'm gonna show you what this is. Um, I've entitled the sermon, A Portrait of Meekness. And um, we're gonna jump to another passage that helps describe that to us off of Matthew 5. But let's look at verse 16 with me real quick before we go any further. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says, let your light shine before men. Question, why? Answer, so that everyone who sees my light will be impressed with me. So that everyone who sees my light will be like, wow, that guy, I wanna follow that guy. That guy is an awesome Christian. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Right? Oh, is there another part of the verse that I'm missing? How about we look at the back half of the verse? Let your light shine before men, here's why, so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's what I wanna say before we go any further with this study. Jesus' goal is not to glorify or exalt you and me and our deeds of righteousness, but that we by our deeds of righteousness, we, his disciples, would make people think about God, our Father, and see all of his glory as we live out his righteousness that he is producing in us. It goes like this. I know you, Phil. I know who you are. And so I gotta give some awesome glory to God if anything good is coming out of your heart. If anything good is coming out of your life. The fact that you're producing good deeds is proof that God is alive and that God is a miraculous God and God is a supernatural God and God is doing a supernatural work in you and that's why you're producing, that's why you can even shine at all. Of course, I hate to break the news to you. It's true of all of you too got to get up off of myself a little bit here. Anyone want to say amen? amen? This is what we're talking about. This is what he wants. Um, the question is, is it what you want? And if it is, then you and I must put on meekness. And let me show you what it looks like. Go to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37 is where we're going to be the rest of the morning here as we work our way down through this portrait of meekness. As Jesus often does, the phrase in Matthew 5, 5, that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth is actually a direct quote from Psalm 37, verse 11, which goes like this. The meek will inherit the land. That's the same thing as earth. The meek will inherit the earth and enjoy peace and prosperity. So verse 5 of chapter Five of Matthew and this verse here, Psalm 37, 11, are almost identical, but David goes ahead in this chapter and gives us a picture or a portrait of what a meek person looks like. So jump with me to verse five, and we're gonna work through verses five through eight. And what I want you to do as we work down through this is ask yourself, as we examine this portrait of meekness, ask yourself this question all through the morning, will you? Does this look like me? Every time we get to another brush stroke of the portrait and we work through it, at the end of it, I'm going to try to remind you to ask yourself the question, does this look like me? How many are up for meekness? You're like, I'm not sure. 
You gotta tell me what meekness is first, okay? Um, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time working on what people think meekness is. You know what you think meekness is. I'm gonna let the word of God tell us what meekness is, okay? So let's jump on the first brush stroke right now, and this is it. You'll find it in your notes. Meek people roll their lives onto God. Meek people roll their lives onto God. Psalm 37, five, look at it with me. Commit your way to the Lord. The first thing that a meek person looks like is that they commit their way to the Lord. That word commit literally means to roll, roll it away. Commit your way, roll your way onto God. So meek people have discovered that God is able to handle their lives and they are willing to roll their lives onto God and off of their shoulders. They'll roll their businesses. They'll roll their problems. They'll roll their health. They'll roll their relationships. They'll roll their worries and their fears and their frustrations onto the Lord. They roll it on. That's what it means to commit your life to the Lord. Okay. Um, how many worriers do we have in the room? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Worriers, anxiety, mm-hmm, fear. All right. <laughs> You're not gonna like what I have to say to you, but when we worry about our futures, when we worry about our lives, and we, when we're all anxious about everything, it's, it's because we're full of ourselves. Does that make sense? No, no, Phil, that's not what it is. It is what it is. See, a person who, the first characteristic of meekness is that you, meekness has to start with you being poor in spirit. That's why Jesus started his sermon with blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn over the fact that they're broken. And if you, are more, if you are poor in spirit and truly know it and you are mourning over that fact, the very next thing is meekness will come to your heart and to your life. Because the opposite of meekness is pride. And pride is full of I want for me what I want right now when I want it. And fear anxiety, worry about our futures, about our jobs, about our finances, about all of that kind of stuff, about our families. That's all trying to control things on our own to have it be exactly what we want it to be. You're not tracking with me, are you? Meekness says, I've made a mess of everything in my attempt to make the best of everything. And so I realize my brokenness before the Lord that I am poor in spirit, so I am going to commit my way to the Lord. I am going to take this giant ball of anxiety and worry and fear about the future and about my life and just roll it onto God. And as I roll it onto God, by the way, he's got really big shoulders. I think he can handle your problems. Some of you are messed up. Like, I can't take that to God. That is, what is wrong with you? Sorry. That wasn't very meek. <laughs> you need a new view of your God. He can handle it all. In fact, he wants, he invites you. Cast all your burdens on me. By the way, because I am meek and lowly. That's what Jesus said. 
but you'll find rest for your souls if you'll just get it off of you and stop trying to control your life and roll it onto me. You guys, the beginning of meekness is commitment to the Lord. Commit your way, commit your life to the Lord. Get off of you in charge of your life and get it all onto the Lord and roll it all onto him. I ask you the question now, does this look like you? Do you see yourself in committing your way to the Lord? Here's the second thing. Here's, let's look at the next thing. Meek people believe that God is trustworthy. So these, this verse is all one verse. We, we're breaking into two parts, but commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Meek people believe that God is trustworthy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, I want to just take a second and talk to those of you who are right now, whether you're in the building or you're visiting, wherever you are joining us online, and you have this in your heart. You lost me right there, Phil, because I don't believe that God is trustworthy. Therefore, I cannot trust him with my life. I don't believe God has let me down. I'll never trust him again. I gave him my life. I gave him my family. I gave him my finances. I gave him my job. I gave him my children. And he didn't take care of them. And he let me down. I can never trust him again. Well, I've been there, and I've done that, and I've said that. But let me tell you something. You're wrong about him. It takes a careful study of the scripture to realize this, and it takes time to get over some hurts that you have. When you had an expectation for your life, and God didn't meet that expectation, he didn't come through for you. You may have even asked for healing for your spouse and you pled and you wept on your bed night and day pleading for God. Why wouldn't God? Why wouldn't God heal my spouse and glorify himself through the healing? And she died or he died. Let me tell you what you should say. Instead of saying, God let me down, what you really should say is that God didn't do what I wanted him to do. Acknowledge it, say it out loud. I'm disappointed. I was trusting you would do this for me and you didn't. Instead, You did what you wanted to do. You see, to say that God didn't do what you wanted him to do when you wanted him to do it is not meekness, that's selfishness. The truth about your life and about that issue that you have a trouble with with God is that God knew exactly what you needed 
and he did exactly what he wanted to do in and through your circumstance, through your life, in order to bring about the good work of giving you an opportunity not to conform to yourself and to your standards or to the standards of the world, but to be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, through the trial, through the heartache. We don't wanna go through that, but that is not meekness. Meekness is submission, humble submission to the hand of the Father because we believe that he is trustworthy. And so we commit everything, even our disappointments to him because we trust him, because he is trustworthy and we believe that. In fact, here's the memory verse of the meek. And don't go to sleep on this verse because you've heard it since you were in Sunday school. Promise? Say it. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is the winning memory verse of the meek. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything. Give it all to him. Why? Because he is trustworthy. Believe that he is trustworthy. Believe the word of God. And do not depend on your own understanding. There's meekness. That is acknowledging your brokenness. That is acknowledging your being poor in spirit. You can't do it. You can't figure it out. So seek his will in all you do. And when you do that, he will show you which path to take. And again, I ask you, I wonder, does this look like you? Are you a person who rolls your problems onto the Lord and commit your way to the Lord? Are you a person who believes that he is trustworthy? Here's another brushstroke. Make people are quiet before the Lord. <laughs> Ooh, this is a good one for our culture we're living in now. Think of verse seven of Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. First, the meek roll their lives onto the Lord. Then they discover that God can be trusted. And as a result of those two things, they have quiet souls and they wait in stillness for God to do his work in their lives. But what's the qualifier? Look at the verse again, Psalm 37, 7. What's the qualifier to the waiting? Wait, what's the next word? Patiently for him. How you doing with that? You know, I read this this week. The meek are free of frenzy. Write that down. The meek are free of frenzy. The meek have a steady calm that comes from knowing that their God, their Father who loves them with all his heart is sovereign, which means that he is in control of all things. They're steady and they have a calm about them because they know that God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. All power is in him. All power begins with him, resides with him, and comes from him. There is no power outside of God our Father. He is all-powerful. Do you think he can handle the little things of your life? The answer is yes, he can. It's just hard for us to trust in that. There is a steady calm on the part of the meek because they believe that God is omniscient, which means that he knows all things. He knows what your life is. He knows what's best for you. He knows what your future looks like. And he's working it all towards his will and his goals for your life. And if you're meek, 
you'll have a steady calm that comes from knowing that he has all your affairs under control and in his sovereign wisdom, he will work everything out according to his will and for your best. Meekness is calm in chaos. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I wonder, does this look like you? I saw that big breath. I saw that. That's a good point right here. Everybody take a deep breath. He knows how weak you are. He knows how weak I am. And he's okay with that. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it that way. But he, he totally understands us and knows that some of this is gonna be hard work for us. Here's another one. Meek people don't chafe over the wicked. Weak, meek people don't chafe over the wicked. I know what you're thinking. Phil's in trouble on this one. <laughs> and you're exactly right. Look at verse seven again, the back half of verse seven of Psalm 37. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Meek people don't chafe when the wicked prosper in their ways. Now, this is all coming from David, but remember, David was the one who cried out, why do the wicked prosper? <laughs> over and over again, we hear this. Why do the wicked prosper? Do you, can you sense the chafing, the fretting over the prosperity of the wicked? Meek people don't do that. <clears throat> In fact, look at verse eight. They refrain from anger, and they turn from wrath, and here comes the command, do not fret, do not chafe. Listen to this, it leads only to evil. Phil. Our futures, listen to me, our, our futures aren't determined by those who do evil among us or to us. Our families, our wealth, our prosperity, our lives are in God's sovereign hands and the setbacks and the heartbreaks and the opponents and enemies in our lives will not produce the fruits of bitterness to common men if and because we are meek. If we are meek, then bitterness will not rise up inside of us because we commit our way to the Lord. We roll it off onto him because he is trustworthy and because we're waiting on the Lord to work and we're not out there trying to make everything happen according to our enemies and the things that they have done to us. I'm, they're gonna get theirs and they're gonna get theirs at my hand. <clears throat> I want that sometimes. That's not meekness. In fact, Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, can I say this? Um, of course you're going to say this, Phil. Um, this doesn't mean that we are gullible or inclusive. There's a word that everybody's throwing around these days, or tolerant of worldliness and evil. That's not... 
well, I have to be meek so I can't speak out against this. That's not what this is. That's not meekness. It doesn't mean that we'll never get angry about what those out there are teaching and doing and what the the prince of the darkness is doing through people on this earth. God himself is the one who said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil and who put darkness for light and light for darkness. In fact, Jesus is the one who said we're supposed to shine our light into the darkness with power and authority in order to expose the wicked deeds of those who do evil. And Jesus himself, who is described, described himself as I am meek and lowly of heart, he became angry and was grieved to his, in his spirit at the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees who were taking advantage of God's people when they defiled the temple. He actually drove the money changers out, remember? He, he, he fashioned a whip and he drove the people out of the temple because they were disgracing the temple of prayer. And he turned over the money tables. Be careful, though. Don't compare yourself to Jesus. Many times I've heard people say, I can get angry, Jesus got angry. Yeah, well, you're not Jesus. And um, I'm not sure you understand the anger that Jesus had, the righteous indignation that Jesus had. We are allowed to have that righteous indignation. Do we get angry with sin? Absolutely. But we must be extremely careful not to sin in our anger. And we're told by James to be slow to become angry. Meekness does not mean the absence of passion or conviction and even indignation as long as it's for the glory of God. This is key. And not our own self-protection or self-glorification. Meekness means we don't have a hair trigger. Meekness means that we are slow to write people off and we're slow to condemn people. It means that we are wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I ask you, I wonder, does this look like you? Have you seen yourself yet in this? You got one more in you? All right, meekness, meek people are teachable. I'm gonna jump off of Psalm 37, and jump to James chapter one. Meek people are teachable. James says this in 119. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, okay, who's he speaking to? Everyone, so if you've been sleeping, now's the time to wake up, because we're almost done, okay? And this is for, this is for you, okay? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, everyone, not just the righteous, not just the ultra-righteous, not just the deacons and elders in the church, not just the Sunday school teachers or life group leaders. Everyone, say it with me, everyone, everyone, say it. Everyone, everyone say it. Everyone. Now everyone who didn't say it, say it. Yeah, see, I knew it. I knew there were some of you who didn't say it. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And I'm adding with meekness, with meekness, because that's what this humbly means. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you.
James is teaching us that there are two kinds of people. He pictures the first one on one side who does not like to listen to what others have to say. He is quick to speak and quick to become angry if the words of others or the words of God are contrary to his opinions. If someone calls his behaviors into question, he is quick to knock them down for that. This person is not receptive in normal circumstances to God's word and at best will filter God's word through his own desires and hearts with selective ears to hear what he wants to hear. On the other side, James pictures another kind of person, the person we want to be like, and this person is slow to speak and quick to listen because they recognize their limitations when it comes to knowledge, and they recognize their fallibility in their thinking because they are meek, and they are eager to listen and to learn as much as they can. And if this person hears something new or something contrary to his own opinions. He doesn't get angry because he is slow to anger. And when it comes from the word of God, he listens and he receives the word with gladness because meek people are teachable. I wonder, do you see yourself? Let's stand back now. I'm, I'm done and we're gonna move into a time of communion with the Lord here in just a minute. But I wanna stand back and see the portrait as a whole. Meekness begins with committing our way to the Lord, rolling on to God all of our anxieties and all of our frustrations, all of our plans and dreams and all of our relationships and health and property and future because we trust in the faithfulness of God. And all of that committing and trusting results in a quietness before the Lord and patience as we wait for him to work. We trust his timing and we trust his power and we trust his grace to work things out in the best way for his glory first and then for our good. And the result of all of this is that we don't chafe when the wicked prosper because we trust the Lord. When they spew out their evil on the world, we don't chafe. Instead, we give it to God who will deal justly with it in his time and in his way. And finally, Meek people are slow to speak and quick to listen because meekness loves to learn at the feet of Jesus, listening, learning, adjusting, obeying, and receiving his blessing. This is meekness. I wonder, do you see yourself? Hey, do you want to see the complete portrait on the screen? Here it is, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect picture of meekness. For you and for me, he emptied himself of himself and became obedient to death, submitted himself to the wicked hands of sinners in order to be mocked and accused and crucified and buried. But he did it because he was meek. 
And he understood what it was to humble himself and become obedient to his father in such a way to provide salvation for you and me. Because without his shed blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without his crucifixion and his burial, there is no victory over sin and death. Without his resurrection, we cannot be raised to life. And so all of that he knew had to happen, and it was the will of the Father, even though horrible things came upon him and were done to him. Because of his meekness, he humbled himself and allowed it to happen and allowed God to do the work so that you and I could receive salvation. And that's what we remember when we participate in communion together. We remember the broken body of our Lord and we remember the shed blood and we, we recognize without that, we're nothing. So I'm gonna send you right now to examine your heart before the Lord and ask the Lord, am I meek? Am I poor in spirit? And if there's some work, there's some confession you need to make, make that confession now before the Lord. Give it away to him. The wonderful thing about our Lord is that he is long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering patience and gentleness and kindness and that we can come to him over and over again and say I blew it again can I recommit and what's the answer always what's the answer absolutely my son absolutely my daughter you're doing the right thing you're doing the work of repentance and of confession yes get back up get moving in the direction that you should go. I'm going to send you to some self-examination and I'll be back in just a little bit. We'll partake together as we remember the Lord. God bless you as you work with these things with the Lord. The desire of our Lord Jesus Christ is that until we come back, until he comes back for us, 
We are to remember his death, remember his shed blood. So let's remember the Lord and his body as we eat the bread together. And as we drink, let's remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord, praise God, that he humbled himself and became obedient to shed his blood for us so that our sins can be forgiven. Let's remember him as we drink together. Would you stand with me? And I wanna end with this, I wanna close with these words. The Bible is clear that if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. God will actually oppose you if you exalt yourself. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you in his timing. And he shows us the example of this in the back half of Philippians chapter two that I read you earlier about Jesus Christ's humility This is what it says in verse nine. Therefore, because he was willing, he was meek and lowly and he was willing to humble himself, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's finish this out by lifting our voices and letting our tongues declare that he is a king of kings and Lord of lords and worthy of all of our praise.
so blue. 